Welcome to the Healthcare IT Today CIO podcast. I'm John Lin, the founder and chief editor at Healthcare IT Today, and I'm excited to bring you the most practical healthcare CIO insights and perspectives. We know your job is challenging and want to help you to be more successful. And our guest today is Dr. Stephanie Lahr. She's CIO and CMIO at Monument Health. Welcome, Stephanie. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. Yeah, so before we dive into some topics, tell us a little about about yourself and Monument Health. Sure. So um, as you mentioned, I um, am a physician by background. So I'm an internal medicine physician, practiced for many years as a hospitalist and um, was sort of involved with technology throughout that part of my career. And as that um, sort of evolved further, I uh, became a, a CMIO and, and came to Monument Health, then Regional Health, just coming up on five years ago. Hard to believe, um, time flies. But uh, at that time, came here as the Chief Medical Information Officer as we were getting ready to undertake a, a transition to um, the EPIC system for the health system here. And then um, in 2018, my predecessor as the CIO retired, and um, the the sort of discussions with the rest of the executive leadership team and our CEO at the time was that uh, it would be a good idea if I were to take on that CIO role and 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 let's just hold on to that CMIO part of the job too. And I think one of the benefits of an organization my size is that's pretty doable. Sure. Um, and so here we are a couple of years couple of years later. So Monument Health, just for reference, is um, a not-for-profit healthcare system. We're based out of Rapid City, South Dakota. Uh, we have five hospitals, about 25 clinic locations. We are probably goes without saying um, the provider of care in a large um, geographically rural uh, area, providing some service even over into um, Eastern uh, uh, Wyoming and, and Northern Nebraska. And so, yeah, it's a, a beautiful sunny day here in, in Rapid City, and I'm happy to be able to talk with you about all things going on, on here and, and in the CIO landscape. Yes, yeah, so I, it must be interesting with the doctor background. I always love CIOs that were doctors. Does that give you a unique perspective as a doctor? And interesting enough, as CMIO gives you another perspective that many CIOs don't have as well, but does it really add to the, you know, and also to your credibility with your peers when you're CIO and also have the MD at the end of your name? Yeah. I mean, I think it does. Clearly my organizational leadership, the board and our CEO at the time and, and now both um, are, you know, all sort of feel like that is a good mix. It's difficult not to notice that, you know, technology is becoming much more the fabric mm-hmm. of care delivery. And so having that um, clinical background allows me to really participate deeply in strategy and problem solving conversations um, with the lens of how might technology or how might not technology fix the problems that we are having. Um, I certainly don't think it's absolutely necessary for a a healthcare CIO to have a clinical background or be a physician. And I often joke, we don't want that to happen because (laughs) we have a physician shortage as it is. And if all the physicians decide to become CIOs or other administrators, we're really going to have a problem. Um, But I think when when it fits and and how that comes together um, is, 
it does provide a lot of advantages to the organization. A C, the CMIO role, I think, has really become a standard across most at least reasonably decent-sized, mid-sized, and larger health systems um, because you really do want somebody whose focus is on translating technology um, and informatics you know, into, into healthcare. Um, it's been fun for me to learn further about the more um, deeply technical, the infrastructure side and things like that, and really possible because I have a fabulous team who are really smart at what they do. And so we can have those conversations and they can, they can teach me, but it's an ongoing learning every day. Yeah, I can imagine. I don't know any successful CIO that doesn't say we have a great team, though. So I think that's so completely accurate. So what's it like being the CIO of a community-based healthcare system? I mean, in South Dakota, which for many of us is probably a foreign term, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. we, we, we know a few places we want to visit, but we don't know much about it, I assume, you know, unless we're from the area. But what benefits and challenges does it present being at, you know, kind of that mid-sized healthcare community-based health system. Yeah. So yeah, interesting you point that out. So one point of reference, Mount Rushmore um, is is literally out our back door. In fact, the first house I lived in when I moved here, I could see Mount Rushmore from my porch. Um, So, you know, we're in the Black Hills in in Rapid City here and our surrounding hospital areas. Some of our geography Um, in and of itself poses problems. In fact, as we were marching through some of the challenges of telemedicine and and our patients, and even at times when we we needed our physicians to be available from home, I often joked that we had patients and providers who lived between two slabs of granite. And that's quite literal. They really do. And so um, sometimes connectivity uh, is is a challenge for us, maybe more so than in other places. You know, things like 5G and some of those things are are not going to be coming here first. Um, they're going to be going to those larger, more you know, metropolitan areas where the density of people and customers is is higher. But to be honest, there are very few, in my mind, drawbacks um, or challenges to being in a mid-sized market in this kind of um, of area. I w- I was born and raised in Montana. Um, okay. Spent have spent most of my life in the Northwest other than my medical training in Texas. And so certainly being um, in a more rural, uh, small town environment is something I am more used to. And and so that that part for me is easy. But what I love about the midsize um, healthcare system, which I am a part of here, is that we're big enough to, um, to really help mold our communities and and provide a positive influence on on a larger scale. Um, Again, in in our case, impacting the entire Western half of the state. Um, But we are small enough that we maintain some agility and closeness that allows us to flex and pivot um, and make changes. You know, I'm on a text message string with the entirety of the um, senior executive team. And we text every day, whether it's, you know, somebody's birthday today or some new something, you know, some new restaurant that's opening in the area or, or, or some, there's some serious issue that we need to address. So we, we know each other, 
Um, we all live in the same community and that sort of fabric of a community is definitely a part of the health system. And like I say, we're, we're big enough that we can do some of the cool stuff that the big health systems do, not all of it, but some of it. Um, and, and small enough that we can try and do those things quickly without having many, many layers of um, sort of bureaucracy and, and administration to work our way through. Well, and I find it also interesting that Monument Health is part of the Mayo Clinic Care Network, which is interesting, like, you know, that you're able to access some of those resources, it seems like from that, you know, kind of going back to you're not a large health system with the bureaucracy, etc. But it sounds like even through the Mayo Clinic Care Network, you may have access to those. What does being part of that really mean to you as a CIO? How does that relationship work? So, I mean, the relationship is founded um, on clinical principles and clinical access. And so, you know, that when the Mayo Clinic, um, you know, started these relationships, their initial uh, premise was to take clinicians in an area like ours and give them direct access to highly specialized clinicians who might have um, more more knowledge, more research, more patients um, dealing with a certain thing. And it allows then our clinicians to be able to tap into that expertise on behalf of our patients without our patients having to go anywhere. And, you know, we're not terribly far in rural geography terms sure. uh, from, from uh, Mayo Clinic's, um, you know, Minnesota site at least, but it's still a long way for a patient to have to go all the way to Mayo Clinic. And we do have patients that do that, but this was really a fabulous opportunity for us to be able to give this our, this um, area of expertise to our patients. And then it does extend beyond that. So on the CIO side um, or even other administrative areas, as we look to um, roll out new programs, one I, that comes to mind, you know, we, we were working through um, the 21st Century Cures Act and information blocking and the implications. Uh, it also does help that Mayo Clinic is on Epic as we are. And so we can tap into them to talk about what are you guys thinking? Where are you headed with this? How did you interpret this? Um, or if what what are what are your plans? Because since we do have patients that are going to be crossing over, how could we align? Um, there are alliances or sort of um, groups that get together that are the CIOs and CMIOs, so we can sort of hear what they're doing, where they're going, leveraging some of the same um, technologies if if we want to do that. So it is a great way to sort of keep an eye on what's happening in, in the, in the bigger, um, health system while still being able to stay in the comfort of our, um, rural geography. Yeah. And it's interesting. You talk about the clinical access as well. Telehealth has really blown that up. Right. And I mean, yeah. even before that cheap flights everywhere in the U S are, 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 are pretty common. <laughs> and so it seems like that's a preview of the future, right? Is, you know, enabling the best person to treat the patient at the point of care that's needed. Is that kind of, do you see this as kind of a preview of where everything's headed as far as that? I mean, I guess what I would say is I, I hope so. And I think it's going to have to be um, to an extent because I, you know, the patients that live here are not going to necessarily want to have to move to a big city to have a complex cancer treated. Um, and they shouldn't need to do that at the same time. I'm not going to be able to have, um, an oncologist that 
triple specializes down into that maybe rare cancer. So I think you're right in that telemedicine or really even digital technologies in general, the way that we can break down the barriers of geography between people and still um, share the information and put some of the intimacy into the relationship, right? Because I've always been able to, for example, call a colleague in Texas or Seattle or whatever and, and ask for expertise, but now I can share the record with them. They can provide um, context back to me. We could do a video. We could engage the patient in that if we wanted to or needed to. So I really, I do think that a lot of the digital tools of which telemedicine is one um, are, are laying the groundwork for how we can all collaborate to care for patients. Um, it is gonna be tricky to figure out then exactly how people get compensated um, sure. for, for that, but we'll figure that out. Um, the good news is uh, to your point, I think we'll really be able to do a better job of pinpointing the exact right person to provide the care with the patient who needs the care, even if it's on, you know, again, I think it's going to be more of a, a consultative basis. It, right. I'm still maybe the primary provider or cancer physician working with this patient on a day-to-day, -day, but I'm tapping into these other resources. And I, I think that is going to be really valuable, especially as medicine, just like technology keeps growing and growing and what we can do and what's available is really far more than any one person or one brain can, you know, sort of comprehend and, and manage over time. Yeah. Well described. Let's shift gears for a minute. And, you know, this year has been a tough year, this last year of COVID for everyone. But as you kind of look back at this past year, what's the most gratifying thing that you and your team have, have accomplished, you know, as we've battled through this pandemic? That's, I mean, it's a great question. And to be honest, as I look in the rearview mirror this year, while challenging on a you know, population and personal level sure. was absolutely probably in general, one of the most gratifying years of my career ever. We saw so many um, great things come together, probably for me. Um, and this kind of goes a little bit to my, um, you know, ability and my role to carry multiple, wear multiple hats. But we early on in the, in the pandemic, you know, we didn't have a centralized um, nurse triage center. We saw suddenly patients looking for information. I won't even say patients, the community was uh -huh. looking for answers. They were looking right. for resources and, and we didn't have a really truly standardized way across the health system to address that. Um, and we quickly looked at, you know, well, maybe we need to outsource that, you know, maybe there's another hospital system we could work with or something because we don't do this yet. Uh -huh. And we decided that's cost prohibitive and probably going to take too long to stand up. And so both on the technology side, utilizing my networking team, my desktop support team, my informatics team, um, and my Epic team, we within a week stood up a nurse triage uh, for the organization. And I staffed it with my people. I wow. took the nurses that worked for me. And for six months, those nurses answered phones and talked to patients. Mm -hmm. um, my team continued to support the technical side. I also was the sort of, and continue to be the medical director for that nurse triage until we sort of figure out where it's going to land um, longer term. But being able to 
bring together both the clinical, the operational, and the technical needs and support the organization and roll something out that was super successful um, and provided for the needs of our community all within the IT division. Amazing. I mean, I, I kind of get chills even thinking about it because it was just such a proud moment for me to see all of those groups and in, in my teams come together and, and fill a void that no one else was going to be able to fill from across the organization. And that sort of happened super early on and laid the foundation for a lot of the other things that people were like, wow, IT did that. I bet they need to do, I bet they could do this for us. I bet they could do this for us. And suddenly, wow. you know, everyone wanted us to participate in their problem solving conversations because they were like, they can get stuff done and, and they will do it for us. And I think that was seen across a lot of health systems, not specifically around a nurse triage, but just the IT teams really rising to the occasion, being innovative and creative um, and collaborating and figuring out what their organization needed to solve the problems that were at hand. That's so cool because on this podcast, we've often talked about what does the future CIO look like? And a lot of it is building that trust with the rest of the executive team that you can execute clinical and business outcomes. So, I mean, what an amazing example. That's, that's really neat. But I'm also interested, what are some of the other areas that, you know, that they're now reaching out to you for, or maybe even areas that, that, you know, that the pandemic has kind of opened your eyes like, oh, we need to do this. I mean, obviously you talked about the nurse triage. Are there other areas that you're looking to grow the organization? Yeah, I, I think another thing that we have really um, solidified in the last year is that there are times that the demand, um, whether it's on the clinical side or, you know, even across the health system, the work that everyone has to do is nothing but growing. Um, the financial constraints within we have where we have to do that are, are getting more significant. And sometimes the demand is going to um, outpace our supply. And so I think that this really helped us turn the corner on understanding and, and starting to think about, you know, digital tools and automation hmm. um, as a way to be able to keep our health systems going, doing the work that we need to do, and then some, even the growing work, without having to think about, well, we have to hire 20 more people to do that, right? So as our volumes in nurse triage would were to go up from a hundred calls a day to a thousand calls a day, I can't, that's not something you can staff for on a day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week basis. Right. Um, and so we really are starting to see that the changing volumes, which a lot of other industries have, have dealt with for a long time, right? There are times of the year when the airline industry is super busy <laughs> and other times that they are not. There are retail times when they are super busy and when they're not. And they've learned how to adjust some of the tools that they have so that their workforce remains the same, but they can be responsive to the needs of their customers um, when, when that demand changes. And so I think you know this really helped to shed light on the fact that 
hiring people can't be the answer to those. The people either aren't there, right? We don't, there are no more nurses. There are no more doctors to hire in our rural geography. It's even more true that, you know, it's difficult to find people with any, you know, with the different kinds of expertise we might need. And so it's really important that we have people working at the absolute top of whatever their training or background might be. So let's bring in automation and let's do that in back back of the office kinds of ways on revenue cycle, figuring out how to improve our billing processes and the flow of money in and out of the organization and on the front end as well. So that perhaps, you know, there's, there's an IVR that is starting that call with the patient and then handing them off to a person in the background, or we're leveraging, you know, text message updates or other kinds of automated elements that would allow us to get information to people without it having to be um, a a one-to-one, you know, personal touch. Yeah. I love automation. It it gives me a lot of hope for what's possible. Uh, Because as you you mentioned, it's been done in other industries. This isn't like new technology in many cases. It's just new to healthcare. And to be honest, you know, if if I talk to a lot of people, there's a lot of cynicism out there around health IT too, uh, EHR burnout, if you will, other, other areas like that. But as you look at the work you're doing and your team's doing, you know, what part of your work gives you the most hope for the future of healthcare? What, what gets you excited, you know, about the work you're doing? So, I mean, I think from a technology perspective, I would sort of, I don't really want to say um, AI because AI is sort of a little, I don't know, passe almost to me at this point. Yeah. But I think it is really around leveraging whatever kinds of technology, artificial intelligence, neural networks, learning kinds of programs, as well as automation to to really transform how we deliver care. And I think, you know, that was a big mistake that we made with EHR. We essentially took our paper charts and tried to figure out a way to translate that into something digital. Mm -hmm. And what have we seen from that? We've seen burnout. We've seen um, that people are, are, are frustrated. And we've seen that it certainly didn't actually reduce the number of you know, people that needed to work for us or the people doing certain roles. In fact, in, if anything, we actually took some of our highest demand and highest performing clinicians, nurses, therapists, physicians, et cetera, and put more weight on their shoulders, more things that were probably not as relevant to them or could be done by other people. But the easiest thing to do was put it on their plate because we knew if, if they did it, it was for sure okay. Right. And the system wasn't kind of designed around um, those nuances. And so I think as I look to the future and I see some of the changing framework around the way healthcare and our vendors are looking at the tools. It's not like we're trying to recreate, you know, how to do, for example, you know, a telemedicine visit shouldn't be a way of recreating an in-person visit via telemedicine um, technologies. Mm -hmm. It should really be a transformation of what's the right time, place, methodology, and tool set that's necessary to deliver whatever kind of care to the patient is necessary. And, you know, one of the things um, that just as a specific example, we've rolled out this year is is some of the ambient clinical intelligence tools Mm 
um, that are available for our providers. You know, when you talk about EHR burnout, one of the number one challenges that we have is the amount of time a provider is spending looking at the screen instead of interacting with the patient. And we need the information in both places, right? We need a quality interaction with the patient and we need quality data in the system. And to date, the tool set that we've used to enter that data into the system have been pretty old school, right? Typing and then, you know, voice recognition got us somewhere, but it really didn't transform anything. And I think now that we're seeing, you know, the ambient clinical intelligence kind of um, segue where I can have an experience with the patient. And for the most part, the documentation creates itself. And then to take that a step further and to be able to leverage um, clinical decision support such that the system might say to me, oh gosh, you probably didn't realize it, but this patient has this in their background or this patient, you know, has taken this medication before and didn't, it didn't turn out well or, or whatever that might be. That construct of sort of reimagined um, uh, care. And I, I sometimes refer to, you know, Beverly Crusher medicine um, <laughs> of a Star Trek next generation, uh-huh. because that's really, I mean, that to me is is, is the exciting things that technology has to offer is a way to be able to put the intimacy back into the relationships that we have. And, and so it's going to be um, tricky. There are going to be ways that we have to figure out that the technology still doesn't get in the way of that relationship. But I think the tools that are evolving have a much greater potential to be able to do that than some of the ones we've leveraged in the past. And I love the way you described it because I've often argued that doctors don't necessarily hate the EHR, but they hate the increased documentation burden, (laughs) whether it's reimbursement or meaningful use, I guess now macro mix, promoting operability, whatever you want to call it like that. They hate, you know, because I mean, they never had liked paper charts either. (laughs) If we're honest, it's like, but the EHR reflects that. So they hate the EHR because of that, you know? And so that I, I agree with you. I think there's so much hope in, ambient clinical voice, ambient clinical intelligence, depending on who you're talking to. Do you think, is it there or are we still out or, you know, wh- where are we at in that, you know, it really solving that problem and having the doctor say, wow, technology made my life better. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I think it is there. Um, it still, it still has a ways to, to go. Um, but it's there enough that I have, I mean, I have physicians using it today who it's a game changer for them, right? They can see an extra patient or two in the day. They can, um, spend an extra half day in the OR, um, in a week because their documentation burden and some of those other pieces is, is sort of gone away because they have a tool doing it for them. Um, and instead of sort of a tool, just sort of, uh, you know, as the intermediary, it really is providing value in the workflow. Um, the, the technology and, and the volume of data that mm-hmm. is needed to really make sure that in every specialty across all areas of medicine, a, a natural language discussion between a clinician and a patient is translated into appropriate um, clinical documentation. I mean, that is an immense undertaking, an immense undertaking for for anyone, um, you know, for any of our healthcare vendors. And so, 
they're, I know, working through that as quickly as possible. So the, and it's one sort of specialty at a time. So, you know, it's kind of trying to figure out ways to introduce some of these tools and, and show their worth and their value, start to see how the workflows could change. Um, but knowing that we are literally, you know, kind of working on the engine while we're flying the plane. Sure. And that with that comes, you know, maybe a few stalls here and there, but we're going to keep it flying. Well, and I, I think it will be interesting to see how it scales because that was one problem with voice recognition is it worked great for some people, but some people didn't. And often we tried to throw a voice recognition on people who had configuration issues. And then we gave them a product that's like the most highly configurable thing you have to do, which is voice recognition. Yeah. But and I, you know, this is another area where we're seeing um, the backside of the technology stack utilizing the cloud um, mm -hmm. and and AI and, and sort of, you know, uh, that background infrastructure. Now we're bringing all that information together in one place. So I remember back in the days of my training when, you know, you picked up your, your microphone and <clears throat> I had really good luck to your point, you know, with it figuring out what I was saying and somebody else, maybe from another country with an accent, whatever, might not have that same, maybe you just had a really deep voice or something. There were, there were, um, issues with that. But now that we've taken literally millions of voice files, cause it used to be the only way that that system learned was from me. Yeah. Now, you know, all these companies are leveraging it in the cloud and they're pulling all of that data together in these massive volume sets that none of us would have been able to do on our premise and putting all of it together so that now, I mean, they're literally, even with just traditional voice recognition, I don't have a single physician, even with a thick accent that can't use voice recognition in the, in the more traditional sense. Amazing. So we're seeing all of these things come along and it's because of some of the newer technologies and the newer infrastructure um, strategies that we're using cloud, you know, being one of them, again, improvements come when we can aggregate huge volumes of, of data and figure out um, new paths forward. Love it. We could talk about this forever, but uh, <laughs> we kind of wrap up. Uh, just one last uh, thought, uh, you know, for our audience. Uh, what advice would you give to those that are aspiring to be CIOs, and and particularly maybe women who want to follow in your footsteps and, and become a CIO like you? Well, you know, I think um, I, I do. I try to do a lot of work in the sort of mentoring arena. Um, and there's a couple of things I think are super important. First of all, um, remaining true to who you are and to yourself and not trying to be someone or something that you are not um, will serve you every time. You may not fit in every single organization. And that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. Um, mm. I could, we could spend another hour talking about the roles I've been in where there were missteps and, and there was not a good fit and things had to change. So every person who ends up in a leadership role has had some path to get there that was challenged and, um, you know, not a little bit, a little bit muddy and dirty along that path. But if you know who you are and you remain true to that, when you find those good fits, 
Um, it makes every day that you do the work that you do uh, gratifying and, and authentic and the relationships you will have um, will be even deeper because you're, you're really being who you are. And so finding that right fit and, and being true to yourself, um, I think self-reflection is also huge. And this is for, again, any kind of leadership role or where you're looking to change and do things differently, you've got to be willing to do self-reflection and figure out, hmm, where do I have room for improvement and what could I be doing differently? Um, I find, I mean, I think mentoring in and of itself is really valuable. So people who are looking, you know, have their eyes set on a particular kind of role, a particular kind of organization, I think it's uh, a great idea to try and find someone um, that you can reach out to that can help mentor you individually and create a relationship. It doesn't have to be super formal, but I have definitely, you know, mentors in my own life, men and women, um, that I go to when it's time to make difficult decisions or, um, career transforming kinds of things. And so, you know, I think set, set your sights high, be true to who you are, find a mentor, um, who can help you navigate through some of the hard decisions and just keep um, plugging away at it. I, I'll be honest, I feel like the in healthcare IT, I have found it to be extremely welcoming um, and, and the mentoring and the collaboration across the industry is fabulous. I, I don't find there to be a, you know, sort of cutthroat, we're, we're topped out on CIOs. I don't mm -hmm. want you developing in that, you know, realm. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it is a great environment right now for, for anyone who is looking for those kinds of opportunities to be sort of establishing what that path they want to look like and, and creating that journey and, and figuring out who to help them along the way. Great advice. And uh, this has been really wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Stephanie Lahr. This was a, <laughs> a great uh, episode and I appreciate everyone for listening. If you want to find more great healthcare IT content like this, be sure to check it out at healthcareittoday.com. Thanks, Stephanie. Thanks so much. Oh,